0: Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. His road led to Jerusalem and his road, his way would end with the cross. It would end with suffering, pain, death. But his suffering would bring healing. His death would bring life, offer life for you, to you. Fullness of life here and now, forgiven life here and now, and eternal life to come, forever life to come, life that is yours to receive by faith. Once again, Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem when a man ran up to him, knelt before him, fell on his knees before him, showing reverence, deference. And this man had a question, an important question, a key question. A question that so far had never been asked Jesus, not even by His disciples, not even by His closest followers. The man asked this in verse 17, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man wants to know about eternal life, forever life, life after death life, how he can gain it, how he can inherit it. But as we have seen time and time again, Jesus does not give him a simple answer. Jesus doesn't give him a straight answer. Jesus begins his answer to this man with a question. A question that may actually reveal that Jesus knows the heart of the man. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. No one is good except the one God. Now, at first glance, this seems like it's a strange exchange. But in the first century, rabbis, teachers would accept a number of titles. Good was not one of them. They did not want to be guilty of blaspheming God because only God was good. Now, as God, God in the flesh, Jesus could have received this title, accepted this title. He is good, but his words here are consistent with the rest of his ministry, with what we have seen time and time again in Mark's gospel. Jesus conceals his identity. He doesn't make it public. And he always points to his Father. Now, in the second part of his answer, Jesus reminds the man of the commandments, the Ten Commandments, or at least a number of them, those that focus on loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, why? In a a question about eternal life, why does Jesus point this man to the law? Well, listen again to the man's question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? His question implies that behavior, obedience leads to eternal life, that that perhaps he can earn it. So Jesus points him to the law. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And although it's not one of the Ten Commandments, Jesus adds, don't defraud. And the man answers, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Now, it's easy for us to question the sincerity of this man in his reply. After, after all, his claim seems a bit arrogant. Has he really kept all those commandments? Since his youth? Perfectly, with, without fail? But what about the intent of his heart? I mean, Jesus taught, if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you're angry in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder. But Jesus is teaching on the law was uncommon. It was true, it was faithful, but it was uncommon. By and large, Jewish teachers, rabbis taught that the law only pointed to the act. If you did not commit the act of adultery, then you kept the commandment. If you did not commit the act of murder, then you kept the commandment. Even Paul, the apostle Paul, when speaking of his life before he became a Christian, he could write write this in Philippians chapter three, according to righteousness by law, I was blameless. So perhaps this man was sincere in his answer. And besides, Mark tells us this, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus loved this man. I mean, Jesus never puts up with hypocrites. He doesn't have time for for those arrogant in their religious practice, but he loved this man. And in love, he speaks these words, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus tells him that he lacks one thing. He lacks one thing to inherit eternal life, one thing to receive forever life. And that one thing is following him. Jesus bids him to come follow him, follow his road, follow his way. His obedience to the law is nothing if he's not following Jesus. And that same call is for you. Jesus bids you come. Follow him because there's more. There's more than only this life, this existence, full of blessings, yes. But this life, this existence is also full of pain and sorrow and worry and struggle and death. There's more. There's eternal life. There's forever life only full of blessing. It's life without the pain and the sorrow and the worry and the struggle. It's life without death. And to receive it, to inherit it, you've got to follow Jesus. You've got to follow his road. You've got to follow his way. And his call to follow, the call to discipleship, has a cost. Everything. You must be willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. His call is not merely one obligation, one more obligation among others, as in you just add following Jesus to all the other things that you juggle in your life. No, His call is exclusive. His call replaces, His call reorders all other obligations, all other allegiances, all other devotions in your life. He must be first in your heart, first in your life, the center, the focus. And Jesus knew what was, what was first in this man's life. He knew what was first in this man's heart, money, wealth. So he tells him to sell it all. Sell it all, real estate, assets, precious metals, commodities, sell it all and give it to the poor. Come to Jesus with nothing, like a child. Give up his earthly treasure to receive heavenly treasure. Jesus. But the man could not. The cost was too high for him. He had great wealth. So he walked away sorrowful. He walked away sad walking away from Jesus, walking away from the kingdom of God, walking away from eternal life. And as he left, Jesus looked around, looked to his disciples, and he, and he gives these words, he gives this warning twice, not once, but twice, emphasizing the truth of it. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Now notice that Jesus is not condemning wealth. He's not condemning having wealth. He's remarking how difficult it is for those with wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And to show just how difficult, Jesus then offers an analogy. And here it is. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. How difficult is it for a rich person to enter the kingdom? Well, Jesus says an impossible act is easier. a Camel through a needle's eye. But why? Why is it so difficult? Why is it impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom, for the rich to enter the kingdom? Why is it seemingly an insurmountable barrier in following Jesus and inheriting eternal life? Now, this is a particularly relevant question for us. It's one that hits home for us. The the country that we live in, the United States, is the most prosperous country in history. And we've been blessed with so much. We've been given so much. Even, Even those among us here today who have the least live better than kings did even just a few hundred years ago. And that wealth, that prosperity, which is a gift, which is a gift given by God, also has dangers in regard to the faith. There's there's the danger that it, it becomes first in your life, first in your heart. The danger that becomes the center, the focus, that you place your trust in it, that you find your security through it, that you receive your value from it, that you can't imagine life without it which then means it's become an idol, a false god. Another danger is that when you have so much, when you've been given so much, it's hard to see your need. It's challenging to recognize that you have need. I mean, think of it, you have shelter a home, an apartment with plenty of living space, luxuries, you, you have clothing, a closet full, maybe two closets full. You have food, a refrigerator full, pantries full with, with the means to go anytime you want to a store stock full of goods from, from all over the world. You have transportation, you have means of communication, you have unlimited uh, entertainment at your fingertips. You have retirement, you have insurance to cover health care and, and losses. What do you need? You have security, you have comfort, you have luxury. What does eternal life matter when you have the good life here and now? Why would you follow a road away that leads to a cross, that leads to pain and suffering and death? What's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? So, how do you know? How, how do you know if wealth, riches, is a danger for you in your life of faith? How do you know it's a danger for you in following Jesus? Well, ask yourself this What if Jesus asked you to sell it all? What if he asked you to sell everything that you have and to give it away and to follow him? Could you? Would you? Now, I want to be clear just because Jesus asked this man does not mean that he asked everyone. Selling everything that you have is not a rule for following Jesus. So so here's another question What if you lost everything you had? What if you woke up tomorrow and you had nothing? Would that matter in Jesus' call for you to follow him? Would you despair? Would he still be first, first in your life, first in your heart? Would would you still be satisfied with your treasure in heaven? Well, this is exactly what happened to Job. Our Old Testament reading was from the book of Job. Job was a man blessed by God. Job was a man who feared God and obeyed God. Job had a large family. He had great wealth including land and livestock. And in our passage from chapter one of Job, Satan, the adversary, tells God that if Job lost everything, if Job had nothing, he would curse God. He would forsake God. Satan's argument is that Job's wealth is first in his life, that it's the center, that it's the focus, not God. And so the Lord allows Satan to take it away. Job loses it all. He loses his family, his wealth, his livestock, his crops. He has nothing. Like a child. But he does not curse God. He does not forsake God. He questions him, yes. But listen to Job's words in chapter 13, verse 15. His words that show his heart, his words that show his faith. Job says this, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Well, the disciples reacted to Jesus's words with astonishment. They reacted with amazement. They asked, who then can be saved? If this man who had been blessed with so much, who was faithful to the commandments, walked away, then who could be saved? If it was easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, then who can be saved? Jesus' words pierced the disciples, caused them to look inside themselves, to see their own deficiencies, to, to question what was first in their lives, first in their hearts and wonder, who can be saved? And Jesus answers in verse 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Who can be saved? Anyone, all things are possible with God. Who can inherit eternal life? Anyone, all things are possible with God. Who can follow Jesus? Anyone, all things are possible with God. On your own, it's impossible. Under your own strength, your own will, your own power, it's impossible. But all things are possible with God. He can open your eyes so that you see your need, your need of him. He can transform your heart so that he is first in your heart. He is the focus of your heart, the center of your heart. He can transform your will so that you desire to follow Jesus, not walk away. And he can do that for anyone. I mean, our our country, our culture is, is a challenging one in regards to evangelism making Jesus known simply because of our prosperity. I had a missionary in Africa one time confide to me that he was thankful for his calling to preach the gospel in Africa rather than here. Why? Because it was so much more difficult here. Our wealth and prosperity made it hard soil. But with God, all things are possible. As a community of faith, we must never cease to preach the gospel. As a community of faith, we must never cease to live out our witness of love, pointing to Jesus, pointing to the Savior, the one through whom we have eternal life. No matter how hard it is, no matter how discouraged we may be, we must never cease. For with God, all things are possible. Peter said to Jesus, see, we've left everything to follow you. These these words from Peter are almost a a plea. Jesus, do our sacrifices count for anything? The things that we give up for following you, do they mean anything? Anything. Now, each of you, following Jesus, each of you have given up something. Each of you have given up something to follow the Son of God. Whether that's a, 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 a lifestyle, whether that's a, a, a relationship, whether that's wealth, and And there are places around the world where where the cost is even greater, where where you can lose your family, where you could lose your freedom, where you could even lose your life in following Jesus. But Jesus tells Jesus tells his disciples and he tells you that there are returns for your lost. The kingdom of God has returns, returns both now and in the future, now in the community of faith. in the church. You, you have brothers and sisters through Jesus all around you that through, through whom you are bound by the very Spirit of God for fellowship, for support, for love, for comfort, for exhortation. And in the future, you are bound for heaven forever. The returned blessings of the kingdom are a hundredfold. Your your sacrifices, what you give up, are are like giving Jesus five loaves and, and, and two fish, and He multiplies it, and He gives in abundance. But, but don't walk away, don't walk away thinking of your faith just in terms of cost and gain, sacrifice and blessing. I mean, it happens. And Jesus says it happens, but that's not the heart of the faith. That's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity, the heart of following Jesus, is having a relationship with the living God. You can use use the analogy of a marriage, which Parker talked about last week in our in our passage. When, when, When I married Sarah, I was not only thinking about what I was giving up in my life to enter in this marriage with her. I wasn't just thinking about what I was losing in my life in getting married to her. There was nothing but gain. Nothing but gain. The same is true as in our inner faith. Are you following Jesus? Do you have life in Him? Is He first? Is He the center? Is He the focus? I pray so. And I pray that you will share it. That you will share the faith that you have. That you invite someone to come to church with you. Invite someone to come to covenant to hear the good news of Jesus. To to, to hear that there. Is more. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi.